What are the most amazing running and hiking routes in the world? Who did them and how fast? Welcome to the exciting new world of fastest known time, commonly known as FKTs. This podcast is produced by fastestknowntime.com, a website where you find out what's new and cool, plus track FKT efforts taking place right now. On this podcast, we'll meet the remarkable athletes who have established some of the best FKTs, ask them how they did it, and find out what it means to them. And we won't waste any of your time. The Fastest Known Podcast delivers great info to you in just 30 minutes so you can get back to your run, which of course is more important. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. And this week we're talking with Christoph Tuscher, who recently set the FKT FKT on the rim to 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 rim. Christoph, did I get that right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. You think so? It's easy to lose track. So what we're saying here, Christoph, is that you ran back and forth across the Grand Canyon four times. That is correct. Yeah. Eight crossings or four double crossings. And you are the only person ever to have attempted this. And you took you, I believe, 58 hours and 11 minutes. And the person who did the triple took 68 hours. So you did one more crossing in 10 hours less than the previous person did a triple. (laughs) I had a pretty good day, I guess. Yeah. Well, pretty good two days. Two days. (laughs) So I, here, here's the big question that we're all wondering, who are you? Uh, I'm a, a professor at Portland State University, and I started running five years ago. I never was a runner, and I really got into it very, very quickly. I realized that I could go to distance without too much effort and if I put in the training, and so I started running more and more, and From a 50K, it became a 50-miler, then a 100-miler, and now I'm doing distances that I never thought I would ever possibly do on foot, and that is uh, very fascinating to me in many dimensions. Well, you went, uh, you are a professor of electrical and computing engineering at Portland Mm -hmm. State University. So do you core, and then one should go to your website, and we'll put this in the show notes, it's christophtuscher.com. And you have this uh, remarkable little CV here that it just you just went big. I mean, five years is not a long time ago. And you just went for the big stuff right out of the gate. <laughs> well, I would say gradually. I mean, it's it really running is so incremental. And if you're willing to put in the time and the effort, you can, you know, you can do these things. Uh, and certainly I think I... I realized that myself, what I thought was impossible is suddenly possible just because you put in the training and in running, there really aren't any shortcuts, right? You put in the time, you put in the training and uh, you can't just magically do things out of nowhere without any training. So I think, you know, pretty much I wouldn't say anybody, but, but most people could do it if they're willing to put in the time. Most people could do 168 miles with 44,000 feet of elevation gain. Well, I, I trained really hard for this, right? I, I, two weeks before, I did 30,000 feet, just hill reps up and down to sharpen my mind and make sure my body was ready. So 
again, it's not something that you can just do out of the blue. And and I I, I felt pretty pretty ready for this challenge. And it wasn't one of the most difficult things I've done. I I think it's certainly mentally uh, challenging, perhaps more than physically, actually. You say it was not one of the most difficult things you've done. Well, not from, you know, considering the conditions that the weather was great, that, you know, it's a nice trail, there is no navigation involved. And I've done other challenges where it, it required me to navigate constantly and, and you had to deal with much more uh, wet conditions or cold conditions than at the Grand Canyon. So um, the Grand Canyon was, in, in that respect, at least pretty straightforward. That's a very good point. There is no navigation. If the Kaibab Trail, it'd be hard to deviate from that. Right, yeah. On the other hand, this is equivalent, what you did, of 14 Mount Everest climbing from base camp in terms of distance or in terms of elevation gain going up Mount Everest four times from base camp. Right, yeah. <laughs> it sounds impressive, but... And, and it certainly was taxing on my body. But again, it comes down to training. And uh, I really paid attention to specifically trained for that sort of elevation gain. Uh, what gets me typically is more the descents than the uh, the climbs. I'm, I'm a pretty natural climber, I would say. I can just go up and up. and It doesn't affect me too much. But, but the descents is really what gets me. So I have to be careful with that. And I can't just bomb down and then my quads are, are shot. And, um, and that certainly for the Grand Canyon was a challenge for me to not just, you know, overdo it. Gotcha. From the photos, I saw you're using trekking poles. Did you use those going up and down? Yes, I, I, I'm really a pole guy. I'm heavily relying on poles. I, my upper body typically gets very sore too. So that means I'm probably using them somewhat efficiently. And to me, it's like having two other legs and it really, I think is, is helpful going up certainly, uh, but going down as well, to me, it's just balance and sort of like um, helping to uh, manage the impact as well. So uh, yeah, that's uh, poles is my thing. Now for something of this length and that distance, I'm going to stick with the gear and your logistics a little bit longer. Did you wear one pair of shoes? Did you change out shoes? Did you go with uh, one pack back and forth? Were you met on both rims or just on one rim? No, just on the south rim. I had support. My wife was waiting there and uh, brought me food and I had a bag of, you know, spare gear if I needed something else. But I ended up wearing the same shoes for the whole for the whole adventure, same pack and pretty much the same clothes, except I added layers when it got a little colder. But really, there wasn't any need to change much because it wasn't wet, really, and, and the shoes were working just fine. So, But I always keep you know spare parts if I need anything. What, po what shoes and what pack did you use? Uh, I used an uh, Ultimate Direction pack. Um, which I really like, and the which, shoes were which, uh, which, which, which pack was it? I'm sorry. Uh, I think it's the Anton Krupichka something. I forget uh, what it's Mountain called. Vest? I think so, yeah. Gotcha. I'm just it's, wondering because you had to go 44 miles without resupply. Right. It's it's a great pack because it's just big enough for that distance, and I didn't need anything bigger. and. 
I don't typically eat much food, so I wasn't like carrying a heavy load of, you know, supplies. So doing the 44 miles to me, that's fairly comfortable um, carrying all the stuff that I need. Wow. And you mentioned a last sportive shoe. No, the Hoka's uh, ATR4s ah. I had, yeah. Ah. Um, they work great. Um, and feet, obviously, they always swell, so I, I usually size up quite a bit for that type of long distance adventure. Well, congratulations, Christoph. You you dialed in your gear, you had a plan, you trained for it, and you executed it exactly, I think. Uh, 58 hours seems, uh, of course, you have the OKT right now, the only known time no one else has ever tried it. Mm-hmm. But did you have a low point here? Or did everything just go according to plan? No, it never, it never does. Uh, I had certainly had many low points, and I think one I remember specifically was during the uh, second um, double crossing. I think it was nighttime, and going up on the North Rim, I, I felt suddenly very sick and had to throw up, and really couldn't get my uh, any food down for a couple of hours. And you know, it's it's one of these moments where you're like, why am I doing this? And really, I should just quit and go home. And, and then if with enough patience and you know without enough perseverance you you basically go through these difficult phases and i think that again that's something that you learn as part of of training and certainly that was a low point but uh, i went through it and and then just mentally it's really hard to imagine doing that four times the double crossing and especially after the first double crossing i was like this is just impossible i'm never going to do four and then you kind of like focus on executing just the next step and, you know, go back to the South Rim, eat some food, maybe sit down and then things suddenly look different. So that I think is a, is a skill that one needs to have for doing that kind of sort of crazy thing. And the interesting aspect about FKT attempts is if you say, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I quit. I want to go home. You can't. If you're, if you're partway up the North Rim, there's only one way out. That is very true. Yeah. And that's a good thing. It, it really, the strategy is to make it very hard for you to quit. Um, and I've done that in the past. It really works. If it's too easy, if you know the car is idling and you can just hop in, you're most likely going to do that. So making it hard for you to quit, I think, is, is sort of a key of a keep keeping going for these uh, FKTs. Well, particularly when you have no other option, but then you'd come back up to the South Rim and there'd be your lovely wife waiting for you. I mean, what was it like 15 or 20 minutes up there each time or what did that look like? I had really uh, quick turnarounds, except perhaps the last uh, the last one I tried to sleep a little bit, but then couldn't. Um, but the first ones were really quick. Yeah, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, perhaps max. Um, but part of the reason was the call. It was really windy and cold up there. So there, there was no incentive for me to really hang out. It was very uncomfortable. And, and again, that was a really good thing. I, I had all the interest to go down as quickly as possible and keep going. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that was helpful. I'm sure if it were the opposite where, you, you know, where you're resupplying, it's warm and, and comfortable, you would hang out too long and and so that was actually it was a good thing that it was cold and windy and uncomfortable okay we had uh, that going for you as well plus i would it seems to me a, a very methodical nature so we have the classic uh 
computer scientists, you know, engineering, which was part of the ultra running tradition. I mean, a lot of that hard rock was started by a lot of the scientists from Los Alamos laboratory. And right. so nowadays we have some, you know, the fast guys, but you, you didn't go for fast. You, you're going for big and you're going for that methodical approach. Yeah, I think that is part of it. Uh, but, you know, partly it's because I can't really be fast at my age anymore. So I, I go for craziness. <laughs> and, uh, that's, I guess, one one reason why I'm doing these longer things. Um, but I think my sort of scientific engineering background really helps me for the planning. I'm, I'm very meth- methodological, methodological in terms of, you know, uh, spreadsheets and planning my nutrition, my pace and whatnot and and i think that helps me gives me some confidence that i can actually do these things um so i think yeah that that really helps well you've done tour de jean yeah yeah and um how would you compare this these two uh projects well i think grand canyon was easier um uh, tour de jean is is eighty thousand feet of elevation gain it's 200 miles or more than 200 miles and you know it takes more time um i felt it was easier uh, to do the grand canyon not mentally speaking because the back of the back and forth which is as i said earlier it's hard to wrap your head around that it's easier if you can just move and do a big loop because you you feel like okay you're making progress and you're getting towards the end but if you're doing uh, Grand Canyon crossings, it never feels like you're getting to the end, really, because it's just up and down and doing the same thing again. So, um, But also the weather for uh, Tour de Géance was, um, was much more difficult um, and just keeping dry and keeping your feet uh, running was much harder than at the Grand Canyon where everything was dry and, and sort of like, at least from that perspective, easy. Hmm. Nice. That's a great perspective to have. Um, and what would you tell, because the rim to rim, the rim, the, cro- mm-hmm. the double crossing is so well known. If it, one goes to the fastestknowntime.com website, one can look up routes. And under th- that, we have names like Jim Walmsley, Rob Krar, Dakota Jones, Dave Mackey, Kyle Skaggs, Kat right. Bradley, et cetera, et cetera. Now we have um, Christoph Tuscher. And uh, there's some fast people there, so you just you've just found your 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 place, which is go big. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah. I mean, there's no way I can be as fast as as those guys. Uh, that's just that's just not the game I can play anymore. Um, but you know, going long, consistent, and and really uh, hang in for 160 or more miles, that's a whole other game. Um, and you need to prepare differently, and uh, the mental game is different. So I think it's a niche for sure, uh, and it's a niche where many other folks could play in, and I hope somebody will will go out and try to do eight faster or maybe 10 or maybe nine or whatever it is. I, I really hope this inspires other folks to really seek out these limits and see what's possible. Mm-hmm. In terms of going back briefly, to the uh, techniques one might use if they wanted to do that. So you must have filled down at Phantom, Phantom Ranch, and maybe part way up or not. Did you just fill at the south rim at your aid car and then well, actually can't take the car to right to the Kaibab trailhead, but your wife probably met you out there at the rim 
with a cooler and so on and so forth. And then you filled at Phantom Ranch. Was that it? Or you had no support up on the North Rim? No, there was, wasn't was any support. Uh, there was water at, the, I think, what's called now Manzanita. Uh, that was the last water. Um, I, I had two bottles, just two regular, uh, whatever, 16-ounce bottles. And that was enough for me to go up the rims and turn around and come back. And uh, I don't drink too much. So for me, it was, was working just fine. Um, and on the south rim, my, my wife had like a thermos with hot water and whatnot. And we were able to make meals, but I, I keep things pretty easy. The easier you, you, and simpler you make things, the, the quicker you're going to be gone again. So it's, it's not wise in my, in my view to have, a, you know, a lot of stuff. Then you have to make decisions. The less decisions you have to make, the better. All right. You've got this dialed in. Keep it simple. Don't make decisions. Train specifically for the event and then execute it. You still need to be lucky and conditions need to, you know, um, line up and whatnot. So I think there's still, even if you do the greatest training you could possibly do and you plan everything out, there's still a lot of uncertainty and, and that's okay. Yeah, it makes it exciting and there's always going to be improvisation and maybe suddenly your knee starts to hurt or whatever, or your pole breaks. Right. I think you, you got to be ready for that. And, and that keeps it interesting. Christoph, what, uh, I had, I had, I hesitate to ask this question, but normally why you say, what do you have planned next? I'm not sure if I want to ask you that. I'm sort of afraid to hear your answer. <laughs> I never quite know what's up next. I mean, my my approach is to have a you know a list of things that I eventually want to do, and I often decide very quickly depending on weather and conditions and how I feel what I'm going to do next. So, um, it, yeah, I've, I've always got stuff up my sleeve, and so uh, I don't want to spill the beans at this point. I think. Oh, that's that's super classic also, isn't it? Uh, I often <laughs> ask this question and people usually decline to answer it. So I, you're, uh, why, 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 why give it away? Uh, <laughs> I'm no different yet, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got uh, right now under your, under your belt, also on the fastest known time uh, website, one could search athletes. It's a fun thing to do. So if one looks you up, uh, you have Mount Adams to Mount St. Helens and Mount Adams to Mount Hood, of course, up in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon Desert Trail, Pacific Crest Trail through Washington, Olympic National Park, and Grand Canyon, of course, here just a week ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to figure, I'm trying looking at your resume here, trying to think of where you're going next, and I don't have it. I I, I was going to attempt to extrapolate, but I cannot predict what you're going to do either. Uh, yeah. Well, people always expect me to do bigger things, but bigger is not always better, right? There's sometimes small things that can be super challenging and difficult. And so it's not always about the mileage or the time and whatnot. And I'm kind of like doing the things that I really enjoy and that I feel there's uh, you know fun factor or challenge for me, but also I'm, I'm always interested in doing things that will inspire others to go out and, and you know, try to beat my record or whatever it is. Um, I think that is, that's the most fun in doing these FKTs if it inspires others to go after your record. Yes. Well, speaking of both these topics up in the Northwest, 
Peter and I once did what we called the Cascade Trifecta. We did. Oh, Mount, what was that? That's uh, Mount Hood, Mount mm-hmm. Adams, and Mount Rainier. Oh, wow. Right. And you run in between? No. You might want to do that, but no, we drove in between. <laughs> so it's a little bit different. It's sort of like uh, the, the California and the Colorado 14ers, where most people uh, car in between. And you, know, you, you don't push it. You don't try to make up time by breaking the speed limit. But yeah. <laughs> when on the Cascade Trifecta, when you're on any of those three, you just look north or look south, there they are. So it there actually is quite logical. If you've been on those, you know what I mean. If you're on Rainier, you look south, boom, boom. There it right, is, right. Adams and Hood. And so we are the only ones ever to have done that, oddly enough. Wow. You give me ideas, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm giving you an idea. <laughs> I also will note that Max King tried it twice. Uh, very, wow. very, very fast, excellent runner. So yeah, yeah. there's a there's a thought for you. Great, thank you. <laughs> well, Christoph, congratulations again on your uh, we'll call it the Grand Canyon Quad. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I yeah. Like that. It's, it's it's a little easier than to remember all the R's, right? <laughs> And uh, we hope to hear. We hope to have you back again after your next project is uh, completed. Thank you so much for having me. We look forward to next time. Thank you. I hope you've gotten some good ideas for your next big run. Subscribe to this podcast so you can find out what's cool every week. It will be delivered to you each Friday. And definitely go to fastestknowntime.com to read the notes from this show and ask questions or make comments on what you've heard today. There are FKTs being reported daily that are incredible, but you maybe have never heard of them. So stay up on what is happening on this website and follow us on Twitter, the Gram, and Facebook. Many people have thanked us for this work, and you can too by clicking support this site at the bottom of the webpage. Tune in next Friday. It's going to be fast and good.